Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Hey guys, welcome back to another Camatastic Goblin Formula Rific episode of Fan Holes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight, but I am not alone. I am joined by three, count them, three of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike. Gotcha. This is Justin. And this episode of Fan Holes has 25% more Tony. Yay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited because we're going to find out which of these comics Tony has read, like, because he... Hasn't read any of them as far as like preparation for this show, right? Like, so we'll, we'll I, I'm just curious to see if he's actually read any of these comics as we go through them. But yeah, we're going to be fair though. This is this is not my fault. I, I, I was I was I was invited to join in and I was not aware of the homework. Yes, yes. Clear. This is this is a surprise. Twenty five percent more appearance by Tony. So totally unplanned Tony guest appearance with with uh, <laughs> more commentary. So yeah, yeah. We're gonna be talking some comics tonight. We've all well, Justin, myself, and Mike have brought comics. The earliest comic in the batch is a comic that Justin has brought. So I'm gonna let Justin tell everybody which comic that is, and then we're gonna discuss it. So. Take it away, Justin. I brought Incredible Hulk number 189. This has a publishing date of July 1975 for a whopping 25 cents. Her story is titled None Are So Blind. Written by Lynn Wein and illustrated by Herb Trimp. Alone in the woods, Hulk encounters a blind girl, Katrina, who he becomes friends with. Her family attacks Hulk. After the misunderstanding is resolved, Hulk goes to their village and stays for the night. Hulk wakes to find Moloig swarming the house and tracks them underground. They dogpile Hulk and manage to knock him out with some gas. Hulk wakes up to find the Mole Man berating him. It seems the Mole Man is seeking a cure for himself. The same cure Katrina's grandfather is working on. Hulk manages to break free from his restraints, takes the cure, and in a rage brings the entire cavern down. Later, Hulk emerges from the cave, gives Katrina the cure, and her eyesight is restored. Hulk leaves his new friends, walking into the cold wilderness, his eyes full of tears. So, this is 
I don't think this is the first Hulk comic I ever read, but it's definitely early for me. And I I've read this of all places. I read this at a barber shop because when I was a little kid, my dad would always go to the same barber in town. And I remember it was kind of a it was set up a weird early style. We thought it was because you had like over to the left, like you would go in and over to the left, you would enter the barber shop. But then there was like this long, dark, like spooky looking hallway. And like being a little kid and getting bored, you know, waiting around all these old people like, you know, talking about politics and stuff like I would just like, you know, manage to like run away and explore the place. And even though this hallway was like long and dark and creepy, I remember like working up the courage to see like what was down the hallway. Anyway, there was this one door and it was like there wasn't any lights or even a window but it was just it was like a storage room there was like a old barbershop chairs that were like cut up and ruined and just like i think there was maybe like an old pinball machine in there that was broken and i was like oh the pinball machine oh no it's, it's i can't you know it doesn't work but i just remember like you know being a little kid exploring this place and being a little creeped out you know and then of course you know i'm, I'm getting yelled out you know justin where you're at get back here it's your time to get a haircut you know get your ass in here I remember, you know, they would always have, you know, magazines and stuff, but it would be boring stuff, you know, like Newsweek and Time and that kind of stuff, you know, nothing that would interest, you know, a little kid. And then I remember one day I came in and this comic was sitting there and I don't know, I don't know if it was there for me because they got tired of me wandering around and prowling around their place or, or if this is something like the owner like had and, and, you know, brought in or if it was something his kids had or 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 maybe it was something another kid had and he left it behind or something but i don't know but this like this comic was there and i read it several times and then it disappeared i don't know if i don't know if some other kid came in and stole it i don't know if like the owner took it back or or just got lost but it like it was there for like i don't know five or six months and i read it every time it came in and then one day it was gone but yeah like when when you were asking us for ideas, I was like looking through the gallery of all the Hulk covers, and this one stood out. I was like, "Ooh, I remember this one." And all I remembered was the blind girl and the mole man. I none of the rest of it, none of the rest of it, like was familiar to me. It's been so long since I read it. Had any of you guys ever read this one before? I I had not. Like this was I I, I thought maybe I might have read it in an essential, but. I think the essential volume that someone gifted me because, you know, I, I don't like coloring books, but someone did give me an essential as a gift. And and it was I think it was volume two of Hulk Essentials. So I think it had like a bunch of tales to astonish and then it dipped into the Incredible Hulk, but nowhere near far enough. Like it, it I, I think I had volume two and this would have to be like volume five or something like that, like way way down the road so i've never actually read this before you know what this i mean this this reminded me of a couple things but it it reminded me of bizarro's first appearance in superboy because you're dealing with that whole you know giving a blind girl sight trope or whatever or i guess you know modern readers might be more familiar with it when like burn sort of adapted it in the man of steel miniseries you know it was like superman instead of superboy but then they had like Lucy Lane gets sight when he smashes into Bizarro and all the Bizarro flakes go in her eyes and restore her eyesight or whatever. But it's the same basic plot as like the the early Bizarro appearance in Superboy. And then, of course, I think both these stories probably owe a lot to like 
you know, stuff like Frankenstein, right? Like that, that whole, you know, Frankenstein finds a little girl and Frankenstein befriends the blind old man and the monster doesn't get seen as a monster because the person's blind and they can, you know, see the, the goodness in his soul and that whole kind of trope and everything. So that's kind of immediately what I thought of. I had fun. I had fun reading this because it's like, you know, there were things that were immediately recognizable to me, I guess. Right. Like you had the Moloids and the Mole Man and all that kind of stuff. And then you had the Hulk. The, the one thing I thought was interesting about it, and th- this is kind of a era of Hulk I'm not as familiar with, and I, I'd also say maybe I'm not as fond of, right? Like, I, I, I've read, you know, all the Peter David stuff, and I've read some of the early Hulk stuff, but not a whole great deal of it. And, and even the, you know, b- before the Peter David run, I did make an effort to read, like, all the Bill Mantlo stuff and, and all that kind of stuff. But this I'm still pretty blind to, I think. But the, the thing I thought was interesting was, like, he's the Hulk, like this whole story. Like, I, I guess for some reason I expected at some point for him to, you know, when he went to sleep or when when he wasn't in a point where he was faced with aggression, whether it was from the townspeople shooting at him, you know, when he first comes upon the, the little blind girl or whether it's the moloids attacking him on behalf of the mole man. I thought maybe there'd be some downtime where he would actually turn back into Banner. And I, I, I don't know why, but I was just kind of like, damn, he's, you know, he just, he stays the Hulk the whole, the whole damn time, you know, like, and I, I just, I don't know why, but I was just kind of like, huh, like that's to, to me, I was like, uh, thinking like if, if you were, you know, like if this was your first comic, right? Like you're not even really exposed to the, the basic concept of the Hulk, right? Like that, that Bruce Banner gets angry and he turns into the Hulk like so that I thought was kind of interesting and then I the only thing that that seems sus to me which I, I don't know if anyone caught this or not but uh Len Wein is the writer slash editor and of course you know like that's like the fucking fox guarding the hen house or what you know what I mean I'm just yeah. going come on man what is this bullshit like you can't be the writer editor this is lame but um but I you know admittedly like this is this I thought was pretty fun. Like I enjoyed it and did. And no, I, I, I had never read this before and it was, it was a fun read and, and it was, you know, well brought to the show. Cause it kind of, you know, I mean, basically this is, this is what most people refer to as a, you know, a done in one. And it was something that meant a lot to you. And so it's like that to me works, but I, I definitely had a good time reading it. What about you, Mike? No, I've never read this before, but I, I, I feel like I've read, Hulk stories that are very similar to this before. And I guess just by nature of, you know, the Hulk being who the Hulk is, like they've probably gone to this well a numerous amount of times. Like, you know, Hulk finds, uh, you know, some oasis where he's uh, accepted, but then he has to leave it because of reasons or whatever. But, or he makes friends with a child and, you know, or some kind of innocent that, doesn't see him as a monster and like you know it the story beats felt familiar basically but no i've never actually read it and now for the sixty four thousand dollar question tony jackson have you read this before (laughs) well i do have my signed afa copy hanging on the wall um (laughs) who's it signed by naturally uh lean ween writer editor lynn ween you managed Lynn-ween, to get it yeah, before yeah. before he passed away okay uh, yeah yeah yeah. I, i've been alive for 50 years you know that <laughs> i got it when i was eight 
No, I have not read this. The the question is, uh, no, I haven't read it. The only thing I could provide is any commentary by Justin's account of the uh, story is if you like take out the like the moloids, like it, it's just like a random generic dude who may like you know have some kind of special serum or or formula. Like it, it almost kind of sounds like an episode of the TV show from the seventies. Actually, I have a question, Derek, about the Moloids. Yeah. Is it just me or like, I always thought they were like naked androgynous things, but here they're wearing like jumpsuits and gloves. Like, is that, I, I, I mean, think am I crazy? No, no, you're not crazy. Like, okay. like typical, typic, well, I, I don't know if they were always naked, but I mean, usually like, I, I know what you're saying. Like they would have like some kind of loincloth or some, you know, the, 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 here they look like moloids that went to like the AIM discount center yeah. and got kind of like little like midget AIM suits or something like that, you know, like, cause it's like, they're not, they're not quite your atypical, you know, moloid or whatever like or at least they usually like Gollum from lord of the rings usually when they show up but i mean i kind of feel like i mean and and maybe maybe this is just me right but this is my bias so forgive me but i i think that's what comes from being a writer editor right like no nobody was there going hey remember the last time the moloid showed up perb trimpy they didn't look like you know, in jumpsuits, you know, they, they, they look differently. Like, you know, what's funny is even when you look at the flashback, like the flashback doesn't look like they're in jumpsuits. They look like what you expect them to look like, right? They've got little, little speedos and stuff. So it's like, what changed? Like, are they wearing jumpsuits because this fictional land is so cold? I mean, is that the idea that even Moloids need to wear like, you know, Hoth, snow gear you know like i i mean maybe maybe that's the idea because i mean hulk hulk even says it's cold so if it's if it's cold for the hulk right like maybe maybe the moloids need to wear the the jumpsuits because it's super freaking cold i don't know i would give you that no price sir yeah yeah I'm sorry, I just have in the back of my head, like, Hulk going, like, Hulk freezing balls off. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there, there's totally a panel. I mean, he doesn't say that, but there is totally a panel where he's like, you know, he's like, little girl, sing good. It makes Hulk heart warm, even though it's cold as shit out here, you know? Like, you know like that's, I mean, that's basically the exchange they have, right? Like. It's like <laughs> Hulk freezes balls off, but Hulk feels a little better that little girls sing. You know, like that's that's basically what happens, right? <laughs> the the other the other thing I guess story wise that bothered me about this, and I don't know I don't know if this ever occurred to you because you've read it like you know dozens and dozens of times, and I know you didn't remember everything, right? This is something you're revisiting after many years of childhood, Justin. But like. Did it ever bother you? Like, to me, like, I, I, what I think is funny is, like, okay, the Hulk's the strongest there is. He, he starts beating the shit out of the Moloids when he goes into the cave, you know, to, to help the, these, these townspeople and everything. But how the Moloids ultimately bring him down and how he gets, you know, captured to, to hear the Mole Man's rant, you know, as part of this plot is they say even though the Hulk's beating the shit out of all these Moloids, they, they basically, it's like Hulk smashed and smashed and smashed and smashed and smashed them until little men sprayed funny stuff in Hulk's face. Hulk smelled gas, and then Hulk saw nothing, right? So basically, Hulk got gassed, right? And like what I kind of wondered is, okay, so he's trapped in this little, you know, I don't know, 
1970s-esque Kirby contraption that he eventually breaks free of that the Mole Man has him in. But then once he breaks free and starts like, you know, he, he basically he gets the stuff from uh, from the Mole Man, you know, like, Mole Man, you give Hulk stuff. Hulk wants the stuff, you know, like that. That was my favorite part where he's like, he's basically like, give Hulk stuff in tube, Mole Man. Stuff will make Hulk's friend well again. Give Hulk stuff, Mole Man. Hulk wants it and Hulk will have it. Like that was my, that was my favorite panel in the whole thing. And then he breaks free and takes the stuff and he's, again, he's fighting all the moloids and they're like, stop him, my pet, stop him, stop him. And he's like, well, you forget the Hulk's the strongest one there is. And he busts free and tears down the whole, you know, the, the, the pillar that's, you know, it's, it's that trope that, that Mike hates where, you know, Wolverine teared down the one pillar that's holding up the whole, whole facility. In this case, there's the one pillar that's holding up the entire cave. And of course, everything caves in on everybody and the Hulk makes it out and, gives the stuff to the little girl, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But what I was wondering and what I was kind of getting at is if, you know, it, it's that, that old, you know, I don't know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon thing that always bothered me. I'm like, dude, you, you knocked him out with gas, right? Like, can't you just knock him out with more gas? <laughs> why, why? I don't, I mean, maybe it's, it's supposed to be like it happened so quickly. They, they couldn't, they couldn't do that or they didn't think to do that or something like that. But it just seems like it goes on for pages, this this fight that he has once he breaks free. And I'm like, and they're all gang piling him and everything. I mean, didn't they learn from the last encounter? Like gang piling the Hulk doesn't fucking it's work. Like, and, why doesn't why doesn't Megatron freeze all the Autobots in like vehicle mode and unleash a, a horde of invisible Kremzeeks on them like every every week? Like Right. Right. Like, I don't. Yeah. I, anyway, I, I just I just kind of that was my one thing was like, why, why don't they gas the Hulk again? Because that seemed to be fairly successful. Right. <laughs> like like I was like, I, I, I was just, you know, I mean, even even if they tried. Right. Like like to me, I think I would have been appeased with the Moloids pummel him and, and they they try to gas him the second time. And Hulk goes, Hulk, not fall for funny stuff again. And like, you know, breaks it or steps on it or, you know, that I would have been fine with. But I, I, I would just think, you know, dude, at least, you know, at least give it a shot. Right. Because it seemed like it worked the last time. I never really thought about that aspect of it, but I always thought it was kind of lame that you could take out the Hulk with gas. But mm. then when I got older and was reading like the masterpiece reprints of like Tales to Astonish, like they used the gas to knock out the Hulk several times. So I was kind of like. Okay, I guess you could say there's like a precedent or it's like a long-standing tradition if you want to go that far. But like, I'm like, okay, so I don't feel so bad about that comics if they've like used it since Tales to Astonish. Maybe the real gas was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of the last panel? Because sometimes I look at that panel and I, maybe I find it a little humorous, but it's supposed to be like super super serious ors. so like did you as a kid did you always take that as like gravely serious yes or? okay okay to to me to me it's it's not i mean objectively it's not anywhere near as good but i kind of like equate it to you know even an android can cry okay and i okay. kind of i kind of wish the dialogue would say even even a hulk could cry or like even a monster can cry but like i mean dude it's like the hulk the Hulk's crying. Like, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. I can't think of 
very many other times the Hulk has cried since. I mean, I'm probably forgetting something quite obvious, but I mean, it's like the Hulk, he did something great. He, he cured this girl he made friends with. And she was all like, well, you know, like this great Hulk. She sees him as like a normal guy and she gives him a peck on the cheek and she's like, you know, stay here and we'll be friends. And he's just like, you know, he knows he can't. And he just walks out into the cold and he's crying. Like I, I that always stuck with me. And I, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, nostalgia and everything, but I, I still think that last page and that last panel is great. Okay. No, that's fair. I, I, mean, I like the indignation. Yes. <laughs> you cold hearted bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, cause, cause Tony, the, the image has like, you know, like I, dude, the, the, the left eye has like not one tear, but like three tears. It's like, it's like he's crying like full sized Hulk tears. And there's like, there's like, five of them on his face so i'm just kind of like you know sometimes i'm just kind of sitting there going god damn like that's that's some serious hulk level crying right there you know no i didn't get well um, i don't know if i got it or not but you know that like that the panel where it's like you know katrina gets her eyesight and she sees like the hulk like the way she sees him kind of and it's just like I don't like I didn't get it. Was that supposed to be like the Hulk, but like as a man, sort of? But like, you know, it's a big smiling Hulk, but flesh colored like mm-hmm. like I, I don't know. It's like it, is she seeing him as like Lou Ferrigno or something or like? Yeah, I, I think I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's, I'm, he's wearing a green shirt, too. Yeah, like I, I wasn't like I, at first I was almost like, is that supposed to be like Bruce Banner? And I was like, no, that can't be Bruce Banner. And then I was like, wait, like, I, and I was like, oh, it's just a, like, for a second, I thought like they just miscolored the Hulk or something. <laughs> well, I, I guess the, the only thing I questioned when I saw that was, did the cure actually work for Katrina? You know what I mean? Like, is she still just imagining what he looks <laughs> her, like? Her right? eyes just seeing, fucked up yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. She's going out to like bars in her twenties, and everybody's like this big, huge, beefy guy wearing green shirts. <laughs> You're cute, thanks, darling. <laughs> You're the Hulk. You're the Hulk. Everyone's the Hulk. <laughs> I uh, take... Dude, I, I hate to break it to you. I don't think there's any bars in this like remote <laughs> town in the middle of nowhere. I, I, I haven't read it, so. Okay, she goes to the chicken shack and <laughs> I'm just saying, I know, I know, I know they probably could use a bar, but it, it certainly doesn't look like there's any bars around there. I I always kinda took it as her mental image of what the Hulk looked like when she was talking to him. Like that that just overrid her like in a time of like big emotions because it, she even says, You look exactly as I've always imagined you would and Hulk's oh. like, huh? Like, Hulk's completely befuddled and everything, so I just imagine, I mean, you could say maybe the cure didn't work, but I just imagine it's like, she just built up this guy in her head, and when she got her eyesight, she's just like, you look exactly like I thought you would. She just can't, she she can't process, like, Even though she can see, she just just sees what she wants to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Hulk's sad. He, He certainly is, Tony. He certainly is. Yeah. I, I yeah the only other thing I can't get over is there was no Bruce Banner in this but yeah it's it's still a it's a good issue and I I get why Justin picked it and it's it's a lot of fun. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin podcast. And every episode I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. 
Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. I, I guess if that's it, we'll move on to the next issue, which happens to be mine. The issue that I brought to discuss is Superman 370. This had a cover date of April 1982, but the on-sale date was January 14th, 1982. There's quite a sizable price hike here. It's 60 cents instead of 25 cents. The editor was Julie Schwartz. The writer, again, coincidentally, Len Wein. Penciler, Kurt Swan. Inker, Dave Hunt. Letterer, John Costanza. Colorist, Anthony Tolan. And the title of the, it's got two stories in it. There's a little backup story in the main story. The title of the main story is Better Vengeance Through Chemistry. Get it? Chemistry. And uh, this is my stolen Justin synopsis from the DC Wikia. And it is a Justin style synopsis. Chemo returns to Earth and merges with a laid off factory worker who uses the chemical giant's body to attack his old employer's factory. And then the backup story is titled Supervisions from Beyond. The writer was Bob Rosakis. The penciler was Kurt Schaffenberger, inker Frank McLaughlin. Letterer, Shelley Lieferman. Colorist, Thomas J. Ziuko. Clark Kent learns that his roommate, Tommy Lee's parents in South Vietnam are endangered by dirty commies and goes to help them as Superboy. And those are the two stories. The cover is actually by Ross Andrew and inked by Dick Giordiano. Yeah, so this, for me, I consider it a Spinnerack comic book. It is a Spinnerack comic book through transitive properties like this was i think a a trade type thing right so i didn't get it from a comic store and it was early in my comic collecting career i don't know date wise if if this is true and but aside from aside from the like book and record set of superman that i had with the little magic singing bullets or whatever like i think this is probably the earliest pre-crisis Superman comic that I'd ever read. And uh, the, one of the things, too, was, I, you know, I basically because of this, I imprinted on Chemo at an early age. And I always thought that Chemo was a Superman villain because of this comic book. And it's interesting because Chemo first shows up as a foe of the Metal Men. But even, even in this comic, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's a nice little callback to the last time Superman fought with Chemo. And so even me, you know, reading this as a kid, I, I could clearly see there were references to past battles with Chemo. So I don't feel bad about thinking that, you know, that Kemo was a Superman villain or whatever. You know, I don't know. Like, uh, it, it could be, again, like Justin's talking about, like, nostalgia, but 
I, I do have a nostalgic appreciation for this cover. I mean, I, you know, I, it, sometimes for people, uh, an iconic cover means certain things, but I guess just based on sheer nostalgia, it's like, you know, I, I, I almost feel like this is a pretty iconic cover with like Superman coming out of the river and, you know, Kemo is blasting him with his radiation, you know, breath out of his mouth and everything. And Kemo's crushing the ship in his hand, kind of like a kaiju monster and everything. So I always kind of thought that was like super cool. And the interior art is Kurt Swan. And it's kind of what you've come to expect from Kurt Swan. But there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of cool, like, kind of history in this and a lot of cool maybe maybe the opposite of what i was talking about with justin's comic you know the the fact that there's no bruce banner in this i I feel like there's a lot of familiar superman tropes so if you were reading this for the first time you know you'd see the daily planet you'd get that lois lane's a reporter you'd get that you know jimmy olsen is also worked for the planet and they do the whole don't call me chief line you know what i mean like they they go through that whole kind of thing superman's in the fortress of solitude and then he's off deflecting this comet which turns out to be chemo and chemo ends up merging with this disgruntled you know factory worker who lost his job to automation and everything and they do the trope of you know, they, they do this often in this era of Superman, but the trope of, you know, Superman quick changing into Clark Kent and vice versa and Clark Kent getting like the scoop on the story, you know, before Lois Lane and everything like uh, about him saving Earth from this comet. But then it turns out, of course, the comet, you know, merged with the man and out of the river, you've got Kemo, you know, setting all these boats on, you know, fire and Superman doing all this superific stuff, you know, the, the, the this is the thing, like, you know, n- nobody dies today, but it's like Superman does these really outlandish things. It's like he, you know, they, they, they say, okay, well, yes, there's no way Superman could save, like, all five of these people drowning at the same time. And it's like, oh, yes, I can, because I'm Superman, because I just make a giant strainer at super speed and pull them all out of the water at the same time, you know, like, and it's like, most people are like, that's dumb, but I'm like, well, they're all still alive, so you all can fuck off. But yeah, so I mean, there, there's there's that aspect, and then of course he's fighting Chemo, and 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 then you know, I mean, again, some people are gonna argue that it's boring or whatever, but I mean, I I, I don't know. This is the kind of Superman that I'm familiar with, at least. You know, he he fights Chemo, but figures out, sh- you know, shortly after that there's a human presence inside, and then he quickly like just makes a gigantic super still to like split the human being this disgruntled factory worker from Kemo whose whose name is Joe Quinn and then it's like it's just like almost immediately like poof he comes out of the still right like the distillery and he poofs the guy out and then he just knocks the fucking shit out of Kemo like so hard that he fucking dissipates into the fucking river, you know? So it's like, I don't know, like all that stuff is cool. And then, like I said, more tropes, you've got the fortress and the key and kind of a a last page that leads into, you know, uh, uh, the storyline for the next issue and everything. So that, that's always been kind of a, I don't know, this has always been a sentimental favorite to me. And also since it came out in 1982, like technically this is, 
This is a 40-year-old comic. It's the 40th anniversary of Superman 370, so I thought that'd be a fun reason to bring it. And then I kind of forgot about the backup story, but I'm kind of happy that the backup story's there. Like, they would never write this backup story today. Like, Superboy is, like, in college, and he's in college with his roommate, Tommy Lee, and Tommy Lee's parents are in South Vietnam trying to, like bring medical help to people and then when they're about to die and Tommy Lee can somehow sense it in a dream like Superboy zooms over there and like destroys a grenade and like blows away the Viet Cong with fucking super breath I mean it's not it's not Dr. Manhattan like obliterating anybody but still I was just kind of like they, they would never write this today so I was just I don't know I was just chuckling at it like how how uh I don't know, simplistic it is, and 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 that you know, the, the, the people would never think of making a backup story like this today because it would be too outrageous. But uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, that that's basically what I have on this, and um, I'm imagining I, I'll, I'll go through the the rogues gallery here. But I I imagine have any of you guys read this before? Negative. Tony, Tony Tony's asleep already. We lost Tony. Is Tony still there? Really? I don't, I don't know. Is Tony there? Did Tony read this before? No, I was looking up stuff. Oh, um, okay. Well, no, because I was going to like prove that like Kimba was also a Teen Titan villain, but I was like, eh, I'm not going to bother with it. <laughs> I mean, he's probably like more all-purpose, but I, I guess when I say he's a Metal Men villain, I just mean he first appeared in a in the Metal Men series. So if you want to, you know, it's it's like that that you know you you can make the argument like Kingpin's a Daredevil villain, even though he's a you know, he first appeared in Spider-Man, right? But but a right. lot of people, it's kind of like who you get into these fights of who owns what villain, like who first showed up. I mean, you can you can usually use that as the the litmus, right? Did did the person first show up in Batman? Then they're a Batman villain. But sometimes, right. if 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 a character fights someone long enough and and frequently enough, more so than where they first appeared, then you start to consider them, you know. Like, you know, a daredevil yeah. villain instead yeah, of a spider. Solomon Grundy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I started reading, like, old reprints of Middleman, like, I always assumed Kimma was, like, a total post-crisis character. Like, I just, I oh. was kind of, like, surprised to see him show up in, like, all those early Middleman issues. I was like, huh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Like, he's he's the perfect foil for the middleman, but I, I don't know why I was just always assumed he was like a post-crisis creature. Where, where did you first encounter Kemo then? Like, it, uh, do you remember? I don't remember. Because mm. I, I, I feel like th this was the first time I encountered Kemo, and then I think my, my most vivid memory after that was when I got back issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths, because, you know, there's that, you know, that where they have all the villains on the satellite and they're deciding who's going to lead and you know brainiac blasts the earth two luthor into atoms and then you know the earth one lex is like okay boys and girls and you see this sea of bad guys and of course chemo stands out amongst those because of how you know how kaiju sized he is right he's this huge guy on the satellite compared to most of the others aside from like i think like overlord or somebody who's who's maybe half his size but like that's th those are my most distinct memories of 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 chemo you know so but yeah mm, he he was in uh peter david's supergirl so maybe that's okay okay 
Maybe that, that's why that, I thought that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the, the that that's the version they made the DC Universe Classics build yep. a figure out of with the the extra, you know, I don't know, knickknacks or whatever you want to call that on them. Yeah. Did did we ever find out? Did is this is it a yes or no, Tony? Like, do you do you remember this comic? Did you ever read it, or is this is this something that's unknown to you? No. This is definitely probably at a time where I. This is like right before I got into DC. Even if I have gone back after I got into DC and read some of it, it would fall in the line of like you know like oh random issue. Oh yeah, well I mean I mean yeah. at the time it came out it was totally random. It was just an all new issue of Superman. It just it just so happens yeah. that you know it, you know it, it currently as we will release this show it will be the 40th anniversary of this comic. So I just thought it'd be a fun thing for me to. You know, it, it it fits it 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 checks a couple boxes for us. It's it's an anniversary. It's for me, it's a spinner rack comic, and I I kind of guess that most of you guys hadn't read this, and you know, I, I like sharing Superman stories that I I am passionate about and like with I, with. I was friends. trying to I was trying to think of the first time I encountered Camo, and I think I'm ashamed to say it might have been like Infinite Crisis, like okay. you know when they dropped him yeah. on Blood Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, that's that. I mean, that's a pretty pretty uh, sizable moment right yeah you could see why that would be memorable right i mean that wiped out the city of bloodhaven they did that because they were going to kill nightwing off even though they didn't end up doing it but they sure as fuck wiped out his entire city you know so yeah i mean it's like you said derek with him being like uh a big old boy he, he's a good go-to you know he's he's like your plasmuses or you know kaiju size yeah they're easy to kind of plug in with anybody, you know, like they could be like the biggest threat and they could like totally wipe them out. Or it could be like Superman where it's like, eh, it's kind of tough, but no, I'm going to wreck your shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I, I think this is, I, I think Kemo's a significant threat for Superman. I mean, I, I think the main challenge for Superman was, was to, you know, you know, he, he's not a he's not a you know dummy in 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 pre-crisis, right? Like he he senses that there's something unusual going on. It's not just Kemo the the mindless monster. Like there's there's that human element that he wasn't privy to. He figures it out and separates the two. And then once he does, then he can go to town on on Kemo, right? Yeah, yeah, and that that that's always a fun trope where like Joe Nebish has like you know dreams of revenge and do it do ex machini later like you know oh he has the power of like you know terax to destroy you know tame her or some shit you know and it's like i mean it's it's interesting yeah. like the morality of it because yes this guy quinn is pissed off but then he didn't it's it's not like he made a deal with the devil he didn't like shake the meteor's hand and then go out and destroy the company it's just it seems like chemo is you know tapping into the guy's anger and subconscious, right? And then attacking that facility. But even once he's separated, he's kind of like, you know, what happened? Like, what what happened to me and everything? So it's not like, I, I, I don't think that was, I, I don't think he intended to do that, right? Like, and, and oh, yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah. you know. They, they yeah. do that, they do that. Yeah, they do that too, though. Like, you know, it's just like the the, the emotion at the time will, you know, like, you know, summon the the really powerful entity and they can get sucked into it. And then, you know, after the battles won, you know, they're like, you know, I didn't mean to cause this much damage or 
what, where, where am I? You know, it's like, you know, it's, it, it, you know, like it, the, the, the whole story is this guy may seem like a, uh, I'm not talking about this issue. I'm talking about the trope. Like this guy may seem like he was a jerk, but even he didn't want that, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's like, I, I thought this was a typical Superman story. And I mean that in a good way, because this has like all the, the classic elements that yeah. even even yeah. like a new can recognize. Mm -hmm. Like you've got, like you said in your your introduction there, Derek. Oh. Like you've got, you know, don't don't call me chief. You've got like mm -hmm. giant, unique villain and threat for Superman to face. He has a problem of how to separate the human from this big monster. How to dispose of him without killing the man inside. I thought this was a lot of fun. I blame Lois for everything that happens in this issue. <laughs> yeah, well, see that that to me is standard Superman, though. Yeah, Lois is a fucking bitch. Like yeah. she's <laughs> she doesn't even like listen to the guy really. Like it's like, well, it's not my fucking problem. Tickety tackety type, you know. So it's like okay. And the guy, you know, what sucks about that is the guy goes to a bridge to like throw himself off yeah. the fucking bridge. It's like Jesus Christ. Like, like I mean, you know, if it's funny, like if it wasn't for the chemo uh, meteorite absorbing him, like that guy probably would have just given up on life and plummeted to his doom. But because he goes through all this and Superman figures it out and saves him, by the end of it, like they figure out something to where he's going to get, you know, retrained for a new position and not be you know, destitute and jobless and all that other kind of stuff. I I was really interested in kind of the um, the flashback when mm. Superman is talking about Candor because mm -hmm. it refers to two issues where they actually restore Candor and mm -hmm. then it vanishes. And I was like, ooh, I didn't even know this happened. Like, I want to track those down and read those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because it's like, well, it's like Candor is like one of those like genie in a bottle things like the minute they start doing stuff with candor other than it being the bottled Story. city of candor mm. then then it's like they have to figure out some way to not excise it but kind of like we're, we're, gonna put, we're, we're gonna put candor away over here so it doesn't <laughs> doesn't mess too much with you know it's like we're gonna phase candor out of existence you know like it's like what okay you know so i always like the super friends episodes where like they I don't know if there was even that many. It might have been just one or two, but like if they were in the Fortress of Solitude and Candor was evolved, like the little mini like Candorians would be like, no problem, Superman. And they'd like, yeah. go pull around yeah. and sit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, way to go, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was great. Uh, but yeah, no, as far as like what uh, Justin was saying and what you uh, agreed to and everything like that, like, like, okay, millennial Zoomers. Calm down, but <laughs> Lois Lane originally was a busybody. She she didn't really have that heart of gold. She was all about the story and finding out who Superman was. And like, yeah, she was kind of a bitch. It was like she, she was, was always almost, trying to marry she Superman. Was a, yeah, she was. She was like she wasn't like Clark Kent's buddy. She was like his foil. Like you know, she was like. Always trying to outscoop, you know, uh, Smallville and shit like that, you know. Yeah, it was like there wasn't this, like, you know, badass. What was it? Uh, Colonel Lane's daughter who could handle any problem, but also like feeds the homeless and, you know, like cares about everybody. It was like she she had like more of an edge to her back then, you know. Yeah, it's like if she would see Superman, like I don't know, going to the movies with Lana Lang. 
she would be like, gee, Willikers, why is Superman going to the movies with this lady? I bet if I, like, threaten to kill myself, he'll come save me and give me attention. <laughs> like, that's a typical, like, you know, 1950s Lois story. Right. I did, yeah. I, did get, I did get the impression that, like, had the guy actually thrown himself off the bridge and, like, you know, died and, like, they, they brought it to the newsroom. Like, oh, that guy you just interviewed, like, he killed himself, Lois, like, right after you talked to him. She would probably be like, "That's not a story." Like <laughs> that, that, or she would write up a story like, you know, a local scientist dies through mysterious reasons. Yeah, man <laughs> dies because he sucks so bad. Yeah, <laughs> man dies because I didn't feel like talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> Butt hurt pussy kills self. <laughs> That's not related to Superman. <laughs> that guy is remarkably fortunate, though, that that chemo asteroid like hit him directly in the face. Yeah. Hey, man, he, he had a guardian angel on his shoulder, whether he realized it or not. <laughs> Just, I, I also like. I also like how casual like Superman is once he realizes like Kemo is back where he's like, you know, like it's Kemo. Like, but that can't be like the last time I saw him, I like threw him across the universe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like really killed your ass. What the fuck? <laughs> and going to the, uh, the backstory, man, this is, <laughs> I can't get over this page where like, he comes in, he sees his friend having a nightmare, and he's like, well, gee, Willikers, what if his parents are really in trouble? I'm going to use my supervision and look to the other side of the planet to Vietnam. Yes. Like, what? <laughs> See, that's so- why I was like, I was like, fuck this shit. Superman defies physics. Like, there's no physics there. He's just like, I feel like seeing what's going on in Vietnam. <laughs> let's, let's take a look. And then, yeah. he, And then also he's like, you know, like, oh, good, my roommate's asleep. Like, now I can, like, study at super speed. And, like, he's studying. And then he's like, and I might as well read every other book in the library, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, he uses his x-ray vision yes. and, like, scans all the books in the library, too. Like, man, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm sure Lana's probably getting ready for bed. I'll just look over there at yeah, the laying I'll just house. check over there. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, with my supervision or my super hearing, I can hear Lana moaning in her sleep. I better check on her. Oh. <laughs> Great Caesar's ghost. Uh, great shades of Elvis. <laughs> Gee Willikers. Lana yeah, went to Victoria's Secret. I, I know. I know his roommate is named like Tommy Lee because he's like you know he's Asian. But like like when I first saw him, I was kind of like you know like it, it, I had a vision of like Clark being like Motley I'm not Groot. super I'm not Superman and like his roommate was like I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny if Clark said that? He's like, "Would well, you Willikers? What if Tommy's like parents are really in trouble?" I don't care. And he just leaves. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> uh, the oh, other, my other favorite part is, you know, the one guy's a beatnik because he has long hair and yep. a sweater. With- <laughs> I wonder I wonder if Superman ever checks up on his old roommate like Tommy Lee. He's like he's like, Oh, I better check up with him with my supervision. He's like, What's he doing on that boat with Pamela Anderson? Like 
<laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Gee Willikers. I'm bringing back Gee Willikers. He has he has super growing powers. Oh, Lord. But no, yes. this really was a fun comic, Derek. Even um, you know, super shenanigans aside, like I, I yeah. like reading it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's like all. like you said, like like you know, he just looks all the way to Vietnam, and then he's <laughs> like, it's like Superman literally flew around the globe to like slap a grenade away from like a couple <laughs> that like was about to get like grenaded, like. <laughs> See, I, I, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff I know people are like, oh, that's stupid. But I'm like, no, dude, that's fucking awesome. Like, what are you crazy? Not in, not in my house. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. You, you know no. why that's awesome? It's awesome because, like, who wouldn't want to just, like, if you woke up one morning, you're like, yeah, I'm going to see through the, the, the fucking planet to see what's going on on the other side of the world. Yeah, there's some injustice going on. I'm just going to fly over there and, like, smack some people around and then fly back. And then, like, it's cool. Like, I I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that. This is this is the perfect story for all those guys who are like, all Superman ever does is save kittens and trees and, like, doesn't ever do any punching. Like, here you go, buddy. <laughs> Damn, there's plenty of punching. He's punching chemo and he's punching VC. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I just, I just wanted to share. I, I like this comic, and it's a lot of fun. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It, Richard, Richard Pryor? Pryor? Yes, it's Superman Three Movie Minute. On Superman Three Movie Minute. We'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Oh, you don't know about me and him? Me and Superman? But we, we do have one more comic for the evening. It is a comic that Mike brought to share with all of us. And I'm going to let Mike tell us what it is so we can discuss it. I brought Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 1, number 189. And it is an anniversary issue. It had a glitzy hologram like foil cover. I think I got it, I think, at a yard sale. Like, I remember going to some yard sale with my parents and, like, this guy had, like, a bunch of, like, comics from a long box. And I picked out a bunch of them. And, like, this one had, you know, the glitzy, like, glammy cover. So I was like, oh, this one's got to be important. And it is, really. I mean, it 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 is one of my, part of one of my favorite, like, Spider-Man stories. And, yeah, like, let me, I'll, I, I wrote up a short synopsis for it. And, yeah, this is a spectacular Spider-Man 189 with a cover date of June 1992. The writer is J.M.D. Mateus. The penciler is a Sal Buscema, who also inked it. The colorist is Bob Sharon. The letterer is Rick Parker. And it's edited by Danny Fingeroth and Eric Fine. It has a, a the first story and a, a secondary story, plus a, a nice, a sweet gatefold poster at the end. The the first story, the main one, the one I, I basically picked this issue for tonight, is called The Osborne Legacy. And I will read a short synopsis I wrote for it. 
After having suffered another mental break and finally discovering his father's goblin formula, Harry Osborn kidnaps his wife Liz and son Normie, along with his brother-in-law Mark Raxton, aka the Molten Man, letting his mortal enemy slash best friend Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, know that he's back in town with various goblin party favors planted for Mary Jane and Aunt May to find, gotcha, Harry's sanity has snapped irrevocably. Spider-Man tracks him down to the Osborne mansion and takes part in a twisted and tension-filled dinner party with Harry and his family. When the Molten Man has had enough of the sick charade, he attacks Harry, but Harry, now juiced up on Goblin Serum, easily defeats him. Spider-Man and the Green Goblin have their rematch, with Spider-Man ultimately prevailing, but the physical and mental damage has been done to Harry and his family. While he's being carted away to the vault, the Green Goblin boasts that he will reveal Spider-Man's secret identity to the world, but not just yet. So yeah, that's the main story. There's also a secondary story called The Night the World Died, which is basically just Aunt May reflecting on the night Uncle Ben was shot and how, you know, she initially blamed Spider-Man for it and then eventually overcame her fear of Spider-Man. And it's a nice little, like, character piece and, you know, but whatever. But yeah, the, the main story was has been like you know i this was kind of like a hidden treasure for me because i didn't really know it existed when i first bought it like you know at that yard sale when i was probably like 10 or 11 and like i was like oh boy it's like a green goblin story because i you know i like whenever the goblins show up you know it's got to be a big deal and this this like ironically i think i had already read harry's death like in spectacular spider-man 200 by the time i read this story and I had read parts of the story that preceded this story, uh, The Child Within, which was also like, you know, Harry versus Peter. So this was kind of a connective tissue that I hadn't had until like after I bought it. And yeah, like I really I really do like this story. It's part it's part of what I consider one of my favorite Spider-Man stories of all time, like the the fall of Harry Osborn. It's a, it's a very good issue. It, like, you know. JMD Mateus, obviously, and Sal Buscema are one of my favorite creative teams on Spider-Man. And uh, I, I actually thought of it because, like, as we're recording this, it's like Nick Spencer's run is, like, wrapping up on Amazing Spider-Man. And, man, he loves to spank it to, like, JMD Mateus's run. <laughs> like, he, man, he, like, brings up his, like, he brings up shit from this very issue, I think, in, like, recent stuff. Yeah. So like, yeah, and but and, and that's not to say like it's good. It's just like he really likes it. And like, I like it, too. But I don't know why Spencer's run is turning out to be such a mess if he likes the same things I like. So but yeah, so I don't know. What about I, I assume may, maybe all of you like I don't know, Tony, have you read this? I was listening to you uh, do your uh, breakdown and give the issue number. So I quickly Googled it and looked it up. Um, and after skimming just like a few sentences, I was like, ding, 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 I have read this issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Play the game. You didn't know we were, we were playing. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I, I thought this was, now that I'm remembering it, it's like, I don't know if it was ever a favorite issue, but like uh, the one thing that really stuck out was Molten Man being in it. And this was, like, in the early 90s, there was, like, a lot of Spidey villains who were either trying to turn over a new leaf or 
you know, trying to be on the right side of the law and stuff. And like Mark Raxton was trying to basically be a family man. He was trying to be a good dude. It was kind of a cool thing, like seeing him like wanting to help Peter Spider-Man, like, you know, trying to be like, you know, like you've got a family, you know, like, like Harry's crazy, you know, like, you know, it's like, it was a cool, like, you know, concept. And and also like all the the almost Riddler esque shenanigans Harry plays with the various you know gotchas as he as Mike likes to like say because that's what he says in a little envelope but like you know there are all these little pranks that could end up terribly with death or you know just stuff to keep Peter on on his on the edge of his nerves and like yeah yeah it definitely and it definitely definitely begins you know, to set up the arc with uh, the fall of Harry Osborn. So, yeah, 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 this is pretty fun. What about you, Derek? I was reading pretty much all the Spider-Man comics at the time and getting them straight from the comic store. I mean, this was this this was a pretty big deal because, you know, the, 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 this, I mean, like you mentioned, like, it's it's not only... It's it's a the 189th issue, right? And Justin brought the 189th issue of Hulk, right? But then this is also, I mean, it's an anniversary issue of Spider-Man, but it's also like 30 years old now. So it's the 30th anniversary of this comic. And I remember this was a big deal because they all had those fun hollow foil covers and and it was a big deal the that beautiful Charles Vess like fold out poster and everything and like all those issues had like really cool posters like i think ron Lim did one and i'm trying to think like there was there's somebody else who did another one but this was like i almost think i mean i i love the charles best stuff but i i almost think because it's the black costume spider-man and the hobgoblin like that's almost one of my favorite charles vest paintings or whatever too like it's just really immaculate and really fun the way it the 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 dynamism of it and the way it flows and everything and i know it doesn't well i mean i guess you have the goblin connection that's that's the tenuous connection i suppose but outside of that it doesn't really track that much with the actual issue I, i i think i mean you know not only are you the winner for uh for Tony having read this, but I mean, this is, this is to me, and there's no offense to me or Justin, but I mean, this is the best issue of the bunch, right? Like this is a, a, you know, like you, you know, JMD Mateus, like just had, had a way of landing, you know, that a, a bold resonance when you read his, his comics, especially from this era, you know, like they, there was, I don't I don't even think it was him trying to like chase the dragon or recapture glory or anything, because, I mean, you know, there there was, you know, Craven's Last Hunt, which, of course, is a well-loved and well-remembered story. And and there was some attempt to, you know, bring back vermin and different things like that. And some of these story arcs that dealt with Harry as the goblin. But I mean, these issues always meant a lot to me because it seemed like it was. You know, they, they, you know, you talk about things like X-Files where they say there are the, you know, the one-off episodes, you know, it's like there's the one-off issue with Frogman or whatever for Spider-Man, you know what I mean? But, like, these were the mythos episodes. They were, like, the core episodes. You know, this is like watching an episode of X-Files that dealt with, like, the alien stuff and, and, and seeing this, you know, almost, you know... Uh, 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 I mean, when you were reading this in real time, like you didn't know, like 
what, 11 months down the road, there was going to be a final confrontation between these guys in 200. So when you're reading this, you felt like you were reading maybe the final conference. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't know what was going to happen. Like, are they going to kill each other? Like, what's, is somebody going to die? Like, what's going to happen? Like, and of course, you know, I love, I mean, even after I, I sort of disassociated myself with Spider-Man after I thought he lost his way, I still loved the, the gotcha bit in 389. And you wouldn't, uh, I, I couldn't love that if I didn't love this. You know what I mean? Like, like the, this is where all that gotcha stuff, you know, th- th- this whole run is where all that gotcha stuff comes from. So it's all just, you know, I don't know. I can't, I, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, the, the art is great. Like there's, there's so many, you know, like panels and expressions and they, they convey like all the right emotions, you know, even though there's, there's great dialogue, it, it, you know, all the, the, the feelings that accompany that. I mean, I think, you know, like one of my favorite bits, I mean, Harry's so awesome in this, like he's just super bonkers and everything, but like, I love the bit, my, my favorite bit. And maybe, maybe this is, this is a, a funny thing or whatever, but my favorite bit is where it's like, do you think daddy's crazy? I don't think you're crazy, daddy. I love you. That's my boy. After all, what does your stupid mother know? She's not really an Osborne either. She doesn't have the Osborne blood in her veins. She's not one of us. You know, like, I just, it's like, I don't know. That cracks me up. It's like, what does your stupid mother know? <laughs> like, you know, like, it is, I don't know, man. Like, this is just, like, super, super cool. And, of course, you're always on pins and needles with Harry. You know, is he going to reveal Spider-Man's identity? Is he going to kill somebody? You know, that's why you love, like, it's like you're, you, you know, it, 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 it's it goes maybe without saying, but you're on pins and needles and you're hanging on his every word. That's why he can get away with doing that stuff where he's like, but not just yet, you know, because you're because you're you're just you're you're it, it just it makes you like have that chill, you know, that I love about reading comics where you're like that that kind of stuff, like where you're just hanging on his every word and everything. So, I mean, I. I adore this story. It's great. I'm glad you brought it. And, and it's, it definitely reminds me of a time when I was super enamored and, and, and had a lot of love for Spider-Man. Before I ask you, Justin, I just wanted to talk really quickly about the gotcha stuff. Like, yeah, like that's super great. And like, that's like something I attribute like mostly to Harry. Like I like Norman's done it a couple times, but like when I think gotcha, you know, I think the Harry green goblin, but I was going to say, like, in the most recent issue of Amazing Spider-Man, like, that ties into, you know, the current event Sinister War or whatever, Harry does a gotcha. And I was just like, you didn't earn that gotcha. Like, that's not, no, like, no. Like, <laughs> like when you know, when I was saying, like, and Justin knows, because he's been reading it, too. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like, Spencer loves the GM, JM DiMatteis stuff. And he, like, he so badly wants to, like, you know, riff on it or do something with it, but it's just not, you know, he can't like, I'm like, you didn't earn that gotcha. Like, that's not, no, that's not fair. Like, but, but yeah, Justin, like what, what do you, did have you read this issue before? Of course. Of course. I had a buddy in school and between us, we were buying most of the Spider-Man books. So we would just kind of trade off like, you know, whatever he found, he would buy whatever I found I would buy. And then, you know, at lunch, we would just swap and read each other's comics. And I remember, I'm pretty sure he came in with this because I don't, 
I don't think I bought this off the rack. I think I bought this later at like a show for really cheap or something. But I just remember reading this and thinking it was pretty great. I also remember like using some of these panels to like, you know, trying to draw. Like there's a really cool panel on page 21 where Spider-Man's swinging and he's all in shadow. So all you really see is like his eyes and the rest of him is just, you know, you know, black and kind of like a, uh, I don't know, a, a dark kind of shade of blue. And I remember we would use that and we would try to like, you know, emulate that because it, it's pretty, it's something that's pretty easy to replicate, mm -hmm. I feel. You know, it's just like light and shadow. I mean, there, there's no, there's no detail. I remember when we were trying to like draw different types of Spider-Man images, the detailing on his costume would sometimes like mess us up because you've got to keep all those web lines looking right. So like we would draw our own comics and make up our own stories. And if you're creating your own Spider-Man image, if you're not referencing something, it's like, you're like, oh, wait, I kind of like didn't think about this and I don't know which way his web lines are going. You know, it's like, it's like when you're, you're like, man, I, I like to draw. I'm going to try and draw my own things. And then you're like, um, I can't draw buildings. I can't draw cars. Like, I'm just going to have to like <laughs> swipe stuff from different panels. Like, okay, this, this drawing of this car in this Superman book, like that looks easy. I think I can swipe that and put this in my little adventure where like, you know, Spider-Man's fighting somebody. But yes, this is a great book. I've read it several times. I had forgot Molten Man was even in this. So when I mm. got it and I when I read it, I was like, Oh yeah, he he's in this. I totally I totally forgot about him. And that's it, I guess it's kind of a weird thing to forget because, you know, he's He's part of the family and he's there the whole time in that dinner scene that's like really tense and like Derek's saying like you don't know how this is going to play out. You're completely absorbed in what Harry is saying. And I had those panels in my mind before I read this and like I don't know dude like Multiman just wasn't there and I, I don't know why I just <laughs> didn't remember him but he I mean he should have left an impression I just don't know why he he just wasn't in my memory. I'm sorry, Molten Man, but were you were you like were you like Lenny when like Homer had that fantasy of himself encrusted with jewels or whatever? <laughs> oh, Homer, did you get a new haircut? Look closer, Lenny. <laughs> oh yeah, you're total, you're solid gold. Like I see now. <laughs> yeah, I think you know probably one of the, the the more interesting parts about Harry's. Green Goblin and Norman's is like Norman did, you know, give in to the Goblin, you know, persona at times, but there's a lot of times where he was like trying to fight against it and stuff. And like with Harry, like there is a conflict at times, you know, they show it, but then there's, there's, I think Harry is more willing to go just balls deep into the crazy. Well, the, the yeah. other thing, too, is when, I mean, th this is that issue where they revealed he found the actual formula. So, like, you, I, I think in the context of the story, right, you think you think the Molten Man is stronger or you, you should, if you've been reading the story, think, oh, well, the Molten Man is should be stronger than than plain old Harry Osborn in a goblin costume with some you know, some some devices and stuff like that. But that moment right. where he does the Sal Buscema, you know, smack back. Right. And it's like, you know, you, then you realize like he's like, I, I found this formula like you can't you can't overpower me anymore. You know what I mean? And it's it's like that 
that kind of back and forth you were talking about in a lot of the earlier issues, it was always about, you know, I don't know, was he going to be a heroic goblin? Was he going to be a villainous goblin? And then there was the aspect of, was he a failure of a goblin? Because he didn't have right. the goblin formula. He didn't have the super strength. He was just trying to get by on his wits and the the goblin finger blasters and pumpkin bombs and the the, the glider and that kind of thing. But this sort of completed the package and and then you know of course it makes him a thousand times more dangerous than he already was yeah it gave him like the power to do what he like always felt like he he was like he said he was like failing at you know but it also took away a lot of the like you know good parts of him he's like i don't want to be a fucking hero <laughs> fuck that shit <laughs> like, well, you, your you mother's know my- stupid you know my you know my rule with like Harry and Norman Osborn stories. It's like I think Harry only works when Norman is dead, and Norman only works right. when Harry is dead. So like, but yeah. well, I guess I mean Norman can still work like in a classic context, but like you know when once they brought him back, you know I felt mm-hmm. like it was only one of them had to be dead. I feel like for it to work well, but. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I agree with Derek, like, you know, like, this is why, like, Harry's my favorite, like, Green Goblin, at least, just because, like, I, you know, Norman's, you know, obviously the the OG, and he, like, he has, you know, killing Gwen Stacy under his belt and all that, like, stuff, and, like, you know, he's threatening and stuff, but I, I feel like I related more to, like, Peter and Harry's, like, anger towards each other and like they're like you know what it's like to like have a fight with your best friend basically so like that's very relatable to me so like you know the fact that they could like you know care about each other so much that it eventually turns into like hatred basically is just very like raw and like i think you know jmd mateus and sal Buscema really portray that really well like you know both through the writing and the art well yeah and like and like like with peter with Norman, like, you know, like there was times where Norman in his civilian persona would would have an interest in Peter and be like, you know, oh, he's a bright young lad and everything like that. And at best, he would be like kind of a faux mentor. Peter never saw Norman that way. You know, he was just like Harry's cool dad, you know, like, like no, Mr. Arsborn is nice. You know, he's 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 rich and he tries to help people. But like with Harry, like that's Peter's best friend. You know, and when the shit hit the fan and everything came out and the big argument happened and, you know, like, you know, everything went to hell. Like, how how do you possibly try to reconcile a friendship between people who like one is literally a legacy villain who not only might be crazier than the first one, but also knows everything about his main enemy, you know, like that, that's just insane, you know? And then you've got the hero who, while he can't let his, like this villain do all this terrible things, he still has feelings for Harry. He still doesn't want to kill him or hurt him. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he can't just stand by and just be like, you know, I'll take it easy on him, you know, like, and there was times where he tried and it it totally like backfired on him completely. Well, that's, it's, it's, it's why it makes it like so gripping. It's almost like, it's almost like 
cringe almost like where you're like like harry is so far off in this issue like from what reality is like and he you know he's just like you know oh like me and my family are happy and stable and like look at you like peter you're an orphan like your your aunt and uncle didn't even want you like and and you can see in his face he totally believes this and Peter, like, is just like, you don't know anything about me, man. Like, this is, you're, you're and, you, you know, he's trying to, like, say, you, and, and when he reaches out to his son and his son, like, accepts him, that's just more validation for, like, Harry. And, like, like it's almost, like I said, it's almost like it's it's cringe the way, like, to watch him, like, treat his wife like that. And it, that's kind of why it's, like, so good also. Like, it's just... Like why he's such a good villain in this instance, like, like I don't, I, but it, it's just like Derek said, it's just a very like very tense and like you know fraught issue, I guess, like emotionally. Yeah, and you 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 don't really come back from anything like this. Like that's why that's why this was one of those like defining moments. Like it's a big deal, right? Like that 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 this played out the way it did. I mean, yeah, the, you, you, the, the, the status quo is that Harry is the goblin and Harry is a villain now, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, but that wasn't always the case. Like you guys said, like Harry was Peter's best friend, but I mean, that that's always been one of those things, the, the defining things in, in, in comic book hero villain type, you know, like some of the strongest ones, like you guys are saying, we're, we're guys that started out as as best friends. Right. And then and then that that love turns into hatred. Right. And and they you know, that's that's one of those things where it's like you can't really I mean, I'm sure they've done it and they've tried and they've gone back on all those things. Right. But I mean, when, when you think of it in a in a realistic setting, right, it, the, the moment that. Harry started sending trinkets to Peter's family that could kill them like that, that crossed the line. Right. And, and I think Peter's main interest uh, aside from dealing with his own kind of fear of being outed, you know, as, as Spider-Man, which eventually he comes to grips with. Right. But aside from that, his main primary interest even though like little normie probably hates his guts, but his main primary interest is trying to make sure that Liz and, and Raxton and, and normie don't get hurt, you know, like just like he's afraid for his own family. So that's, and it's, it's your avatar, but that's another great moment at the yeah. very end when he's like, I'll take care of Norman. And like, you know, it's that three shot zoom in on yeah. Normie's little face. Like, and oh, yeah. like, I feel that's something that was never like, maybe it was like paid off in like spider girl a little mm. bit, but like, I feel like I was always wondering, like, wouldn't it be cool if they like did something with like Normie like one day? And like, I thought like slot was going to do it like with his superior Spider-Man run. And like, mm. uh, like my speculation was always that the green goblin and superior Spider-Man was going to turn out to be like normie in a like exo suit or something, mm. which I thought would have been a lot cooler than what it actually turned out to be. But like, yeah, but I, I don't know. Like I, I, I always think that's kind of cool that like, you know, may, maybe normie loves his uncle Peter, but he hates, you know, Spider-Man. And, mm. you know, you'd always have these scenes like whenever normie would show up of him playing with the little like Spider-Man action figure and like breaking it and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know, like like this time when I was when I was revisiting the issue, I was like, oh, you know, what would be fun is have like Normie and, and Franklin get into a cage match or something. You know, they can beat each other up or something in the in the Chuck E. Cheese or something. I don't know. <laughs> and, and Normie could actually be like the worst goblin of them all, because like, you know, you got to think about it. Norman didn't encounter Spider-Man until like, you know, let's let's be generous and let's say he was in his early 40s right probably harry didn't become like you know a villain until like again let's be generous 25 to 30 around that time this is old spider-man timeline not new stuff so yeah they had like you know a few years of hatred but like this normie kid is going to grow up his whole life hating spider-man so by the yeah. time he's actually able to do something, you know, like it could be 10 times worse, especially if he finds out like, you know, like, you know, oh, oh, Uncle Petey is Spider-Man. Well, fuck both of them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think like as of last like check, like Normie's been like aged up to maybe like 10 or 11 at this mm. point. But like, it's yeah, such a sloppy scale. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's probably a, a kid who is doomed to like never grow past his teens, like, you know, forever. That's why you got to put him in a cage match with Franklin, dude. <laughs> and, well, he, and, he, he, and he, the youngest power pack girl. <laughs> he, he was chilling with uh, Eddie Brock's son, like in that oh, Venom series okay. for a while. Okay. But, you know. But like I said, you know, it would have it was, you know, in Spider-Girl, like, I mean, he has a little thing with May and then like he kind of reforms himself. Yeah, I remember OK guy. Yeah. Like, but I don't know, like I I always felt like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if they did some kind of, you know, Spider-Man like 20 years later, if you could freeze like continuity at this point and Mm -hmm. like say like, you know, Normie shows up again or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he would take on like an older Spider-Man, you know, who's like in his late forties, early fifties. And, and, you know, even though he's still like for his age, like in really good condition, you know, the spider metabolism and all that stuff like that, he's lost a few steps and he has to fight this younger, even more crazy goblin. Yeah. That'd be cool story. Yeah. No, one last thing I wanted to mention, and like, it's something with like Sal Buscema's art that I've always taken note of. Have you ever noticed that like he draws Spider-Man's web lines is just like, lines like is that like is that almost yeah is that almost like a like counter to like mcfarlane (laughs) webs like he was like i'm not drawing this complicated like shit like (laughs) well i mean you know it's interesting too because i i think i think you have this weird generational thing like i uh, let me put it this way like you know you you can't get away from wolverine's bone claws right unfortunately they're they're just part of his history lock stock and barrel but I remember a time when there were no goddamn bone claws, right? Like it, when when Wolverine popped his claws for the first time in Alpha Flight, he was shocked. Not only was it painful, but he was shocked that claws were popping out of him at all, right? But if he's had bone claws since he was a little goddamn kid, like that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, right? And like, I, I kind of feel like the 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 extravagant webbing the 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 i don't know the 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 rope line with the sinews and the the little yeah. loops and all that shit that was something mcfarland kind of brought to the scene and and some people will argue 
Art Adams did that first, right? Because if you look at like those issues, a long shot, there's examples of him doing webbing kind of similar to how McFarlane would elevate that, you know, to the nth degree. Right. And then, you know, it's kind of like the whole, you know, Romita eyes, McFarlane eyes thing. Right. Like it, it's both those things. It's like it's like in this, obviously, Busema was doing the McFarlane eyes because they probably got an editorial edict saying like, oh, that's what that's what sells. We got to make them all big eyes from now on. Like no matter what you were doing before, you were doing the Romita thing before. Now you're doing the McFarlane thing. Like that's the edict, right? But maybe you know, you know, as far as what you're talking about, I mean, maybe there was no major edict about that. Or if you look at some of them. I mean, even some of it, it depends on panel to panel, right? Like, if it's from really far away, you know, Basima's like, yeah, you're fucking A, I'm not doing a bunch of detail. But it's like the closer you get, like like that one page uh, on 17, it's like what you're talking about exists where they're just lines, right? In panel one and panel two and panel four and panel five, they're just lines. But if you do panel three... It's like their lines and the squiggles and there's more McFarlane webbing or Art Adams webbing or whoever the fuck you want to attribute it to. But there's more of that kind of, you know, detailed webbing, let's call it, you know. So, I mean, I I, I think it's probably, you know, I, I don't know if it's an FU or not, but it, it's definitely, you know, he, he's definitely making uh, choices, right? Saying like, OK, I'm going to on a. On a five-panel page, I'm only going to do detailed webbing on one of them, right? Like, yeah, and that's I'm on just, a deadline, so I can't be yeah. drawing this webbing all the fucking time. Right, you know? right. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and stylistically, it changes. Like, you know, there, there was sometimes where there, there was runs where Spider-Man always had the webbing underneath his arms, the little... Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then some guys were just like, nah, fuck that. I'm not drawing that. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I would argue, guy, you know, guys like, you know, even Zek or Ross Andrew or Ron Friends or, you know, whoever, right? You know, Ditko and Romita, right? Like, did, did they draw extravagant webbing? Like, I don't, I don't even think that was a thing back then, you know? So I, I, I think it only comes up as of this era where it's like, you know, if, 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 if Spider-Man's going to have the big eyes all the time, then possibly he's going to have the extravagant webbing, but that's not necessarily a given, I guess. You know? Yeah. I mean, as I, it, you know, this, this is like 1992. So even though they're big artists out there, you got your Jim Lee's, your McFarlane's and your, your Larson's and all these guys, like we're, we're still in an era where there's a lot of old school artists still, you know, chipping away at the rock. So they're still going to draw their style, you know, they're not going to be like, you know, like if if you're not Jim Lee, you're not going to draw like Jim Lee, you know, it's just, just, you know, it's like you've been drawing a certain way for 30 years. This hot new guy is selling a lot of books. That's great. But like, you just can't change your style overnight just because this guy's selling a million copies, you know, there's a moment in this, that nine-year-old me didn't really get, but 38-year-old me gets. So Harry is completely webbed up. Liz says, what do we do now? And Spider-Man says, go upstairs, Liz, call the police. And she says, the police? No, 
No, I can't. I love him. How can you ask me to do it because you love him? And she walks away and calls the police. So, like, nine-year-old me was like, but if she calls the police, they're going to arrest him, right? So I was like, if she loves him, wouldn't she let him go? So that's, like, you know, the thought process of a nine-year-old. But, like, you know, being a an adult who's been through some things, I, I get exactly what Spider-Man's saying here, because he's, because you know, sometimes, you know, if you care, if you care about somebody, sometimes you, sometimes you need to rock the boat and help them help themselves if they, you know, if they won't take care of themselves. So that, that's something that nine-year-old me had no experience with, but now I'm just like, oh yeah, I get that now. Oh yeah, like like this, this is. This kind of comic, this kind of storytelling is like a prime example of just throwing it into like people's faces who say comics are just for kids. Like, yeah, you could be a kid and read this, but there's a lot of deep emotional and psychological shit in this comic. And like you said, Justin, you know, it could take you like 10, 20 years to where you're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. See, like this this is the sort of thing I wish I could like go back in time and show my high school art teacher who hated animation, anime, and comic books. She thought that stuff was like garbage trash art. I wish I could just be like show her this and be like, you know, read this and weep or you know I mean I I've always told stories about, you know, whenever it was like art history month, I'm just like, I don't care about Pablo Picasso, give me like Gene Cullen or somebody. Like that's who I love. <laughs> <laughs> Now you got the Jackson Pollock. Uh, uh, P.U. <laughs> no, no, I was just thinking of uh, yeah. Ed. Um, what's his face was playing um, uh, uh, Pollock, and he's like, "Oh, they said poor Picasso." So I was like thinking about, "Oh, poor Picasso!" Like Justin doesn't even like him. <laughs> <laughs> and all right, yeah. all these, all these like avant-garde painters and stuff. Now everybody's like. You know who's really good? Bob Ross. That was a that, that was a good fucking painter. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Something I take like you know appreciation of of is like you know when Mark Raxton like says to like Harry you know like you're hurting your son like more than you can possibly know right now like and it's true it's like it's almost like he's like the longer this goes on the more poisoned like Normie is becoming basically and like that's like a another like element of like tension to it like you're like you know the more warped normie is gonna like grow up to be like the longer this goes on basically and like that's like something i i i took notice of more you know in later reads than i do like you know when i when i was a kid well i mean i guess i guess you have that debate over you know environment versus genetics too right because you, you, uh, nature you versus know, you, nurture, right? Yeah, or whatever, right? Like, I mean, the, the story is called the Osborne Legacy for a reason, right? Like, and it's not just goblin formula and kooky ass costumes and shit. Like, some of it is that, you know, Osborne insanity, right? And that that certainly seems to flow from father to son to father to son, right? Like, that's that you, you know, that's that's something that that probably uh you know should be considered as well right like they're, they're you know i mean maybe it's a, a a callous thing to say but maybe there's no helping normie you know what i mean like 
Like maybe Normie's just destined to be as as cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs as Harry and Norman uh, Senior are, you know. One thing we we really concentrate on, of course, is Harry and and his family, and like you know how you know he he's got to this point. But I mean, on the flip side, you know, is it, one of the things I miss most about Peter Parker Spider Man. I'm sure you would agree with this, Derek. Uh, one of the reasons we kind of fell off the wagon is like this is a moral Spider-Man. He's trying to do the right thing. Even though it's not easy, he doesn't want to do it, but he he has to. He has to do the he has to make the decisions that he feels are best to keep as many people safe as possible. And I mean, like, you know, a lot of people say like, you know, superheroes can't do that nowadays. That's not that's not realistic. And I'm like, read this shit. This is pretty fucking realistic. And this is about a guy trying to do the the most right thing he can in this situation. I was going to say, it's too bad that Harry Green Goblin wasn't super popular and wasn't going to get a bunch of miniseries where he moves to San Francisco and saves homeless people. Cause then maybe, <laughs> may, maybe, maybe then uh, 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 Spider-Man could be morally compromised. Sorry, I was playing my Venom action figure. What was that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I can like Venom and Green Goblin. <laughs> it's like we t- Tony like unmutes and you hear in the background like Venom, 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 Venom. Oh, I, 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 I get your joke. I understand the dichotomy and like it. it and no, let, like let, let's make this clear. Venom as no, a character no, I'm, has I'm, been. I'm, like, I'm agreeing with you because because he doesn't like what you said is absolutely true. He doesn't he doesn't sacrifice his moral convictions just because Harry's his best friend and just because they have a close relationship like this. this Like you said, it's something difficult for him to do because and he's trying to do the right thing and he does do it and he doesn't make a truce with Harry. He doesn't make a truce because it's it's in his best interests and it'll protect his family. He 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 finally, you know, I mean, he wrestles with it. Right. But ultimately, at the end of the day, he's like, look, I'm not going to live in fear anymore. Like, you're going to do something to me. Go ahead and do it. But, you know, I'm I'm not going to be your plaything, you know, like and that's yeah. I mean, that that's that's something that I would argue that you, you, you don't you know, you haven't seen in Spider-Man in almost, you know, the, the 30 years since this came out, right? Like, that's it's been a long fucking time, and Spider-Man's done a lot of stupid fucking shit since then, so. <laughs> no, well, Spider-Man today would be like, like, oh no, like, and run to, like, Doctor Strange or something, and like, can you, like, make Harry not be mean to me anymore? Like, <laughs> I have ADHD. I threw Captain America's shield out the window. Can you, uh, there goes the can multiverse. You, can you change time and screw up everything just to fix my fucking goof up? Did, did, yeah, did, yeah. Nowadays it would no be one, like, yeah, no be, one be across there and be like, can you take back time to before Harry was crazy and we make him not crazy? <laughs> no one have the great power, great responsibility talk with anyone. <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway. No. But yeah, that, that yeah, that's just something I want to bring up. That like, since we talked about Harry so much, I was like, this is also a really good Peter issue too. I mean, you know, Peter Parker definitely comes off as like, you know, like <laughs> he's, he may not be the Spider-Man we deserve. <laughs> 
or however the shit that fucking Dark Knight quote goes. <laughs> Director Fury, the internet is besieged with lame, lifeless podcasts. What we need is a hard-charging, foul-mouthed band of brothers with chemistry, big brains on comics, and personality. Personality goes a long way. What we need is the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm a legal machine. Diablo Frank. And I am Mr. Fixit. Nick, internet radio is saved. Get this mother podcast off mother iTunes. The Marvel Superheroes podcast can also be found on Shout Engine, Stitcher, the Internet Archive, and on Rolled Spine Podcasts blogs. Well, we're out of time. We are out of time, so let's let's uh, let's talk about where you can find us. Uh, we are on. We, we can be streamed, and we're on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and we are on Apple Podcasts. We can be found on all kinds of social media. We're on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, and we appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive there. And if you liked comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We hope you consider checking out all of our shows over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can direct download all the episodes there. And if you like this show, consider checking out any of our other shows from the Fanholes Continuum. They're all available over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And, of course, if you have any angry emails, if you're really angry that I called Lois a bitch, uh, <laughs> you can send us angry emails at and, 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 uh, and, and uh, you know, that we don't care about your stupid mother anyway. Uh, you can send us angry emails at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. So, yeah, and then this will be Derek. Uh, give, give Hulk the stuff uh, signing off. It's Mike, and I know the secret identities of all the fan holes, and I'm going to tell the world, but not just yet. This is Justin signing off. Pablo Picasso sucks. <laughs> this is Tony, and it's sad that I was more prepared for an episode that I wasn't aware of than the ones I am aware of. <laughs> <laughs> Love me as long as you want it And then someday You'd leave me for somebody new Worry Why do I And I'm
Tony's laughter echoes on into the night. <laughs> you should just say gotcha, Tony. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Mike Curry did the gotcha. He did his intro. I couldn't I can I couldn't steal his thunder. <laughs>